So good morning, everyone. Hello. So we are continuing our journey through uh, the Gospel of Mark. We've got to chapter 10. And uh, we're going to be looking at the first 12 verses. So let me read them to you. I'll be reading from the New American Standard. You'll have different versions, slightly different phrases. Here we go. Getting up, Jesus went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two but one flesh. What, therefore, God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Okay then. So, let's just point out uh, verse 1. So verse 1, we have a little bit of a milestone here. The action now moves from Galilee, where we've been for the first nine chapters, into Judea. Uh, now, Jesus is moving steadily towards Jerusalem. And in Mark's gospel, we have just one chapter in Judea. Chapter 11 begins with us moving from Judea and on into Jerusalem. Um, many of the other gospels, you know, Matthew and Luke, um, have several chapters worth Luke has nine chapters worth of Jesus's ministry in Judea so you know we we know that we're dealing with um, when Mark is writing this gospel we're dealing something which is abridged it's not got absolutely everything in and what Mark is doing is he's, he's putting in really the important stuff and he's avoiding repeats so we get a, a fuller account in in Matthew and in Luke And typically, you know, as is typical for Jesus, we see that crowds gather around them and he's teaching them. In Matthew 19, which is the parallel account, we find that Jesus is also healing the sick um, in the crowd as well. So that's very typical fare, really, for Jesus. Now, also, fairly typically, the Pharisees are on the scene. And verse 2 here, some Pharisees came up to Jesus testing him. They had a test question, a trick question. 
And I want you really to recognize that. These guys are not asking from sincere motives, all right? They don't really, they're not really interested in the answer. What they're trying to do is to trap Jesus, to trap Jesus in a controversy about what is, what would be uh, uh, legal grounds for a divorce, legal according to Moses's commandments, Moses' code. And so Jesus responds to them that way. Um, now, the sort of trick questions that he gets asked, we, 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 there's more of them in chapter 12, but you might recall, for example, the question, is it lawful to pay taxes? That's another trick question. They're not really interested in the answer. What they're trying to do is trap Jesus. Um, there was another question about a woman who was a hypothetical situation, a woman who was married to seven different people during her life, and then the Sadducees asked, who's she going to be married to in the resurrection? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Um, and there's also, which is probably quite pertinent to us, um, there's the, the passage in John chapter 8, where a woman is caught in the act of adultery. That's what is said to Jesus. The woman is brought before her, and the Pharisees say, Moses says she should be stoned. What do you say? And these were questions designed to trap and to trick Jesus. So you need to understand that. Um, and so he says, well, what does Moses say? He bounces it back to them and says, what does Moses say? Verse 3. And uh, verse 4, we can see that they do know the answer. They do know the answer. They reply, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, this is reference to a passage in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 24. Um, I won't read the whole thing to you, but I'll just give you the flavor really of the start. Uh, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he's to write her a certificate of divorce and put it in her hand and send her out from his house. And she leaves the house. If she leaves the house and goes and becomes another man's wife, uh, and then if uh, then I'll, I'll preface the rest, but basically um, the rest says if she gets divorced again or if that man dies, she can't return to her first husband. That's not permitted. Now, you can tell from the answer here, verse 4, they say Moses permitted, not commanded, but permitted. So they already understand that this law that's brought in at the end of the Torah, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, Deuteronomy is the fifth one, this is the end of the Torah, the end of the writings of Moses. Moses introduces this law, this regulation, but it is permissive, it's, not, it's, it's to allow divorce, it's not to command divorce. And why was that? Let's just understand what was going on here. The fact of the matter was marriages were breaking down, divorce was happening and Moses steps in with his commands here to regulate that process up to that point remember this is a very male dominated society so up to that point the man could simply put the woman out the house or he could simply bring another woman into the house 
and declare that this is my wife now. The woman could be left bereft with no place to go, separated from her children, with no access to them, and really with nothing. There was a lot of this beginning to happen. And so Moses steps in and introduces a regulation and says, if you're going to get divorced, and this is directed at the men because it, was, it wasn't the women that were divorcing the men, it was the men that were divorcing the women. He said, if you're going to divorce your wife, number one, it's a legal process. It's a matter of civil law. You must go to a solicitor, you must go to a lawyer, and you must obtain a certificate of divorce. You must state on that certificate the cause for which the divorce is taking place. There has to be a cause for the divorce. You can't just wake up one morning and think, I'll take another wife, thanks very much. There's got to be a reason for it. You've got to state that reason. That reason has to be agreed with the lawyers. And then the woman must be given a certificate of divorce so that she is free to marry again. So that she can do that. So that another man can take her as his wife without fear that he is somehow, you know, well, who does she belong to? Is she with the first husband or not? Are they separated or not? What Moses is saying is it's got to be unambiguous. The divorce takes time. You've got to think about it. You've got to pay some money. You better believe the lawyers will take the money. Takes time. Got to be clear. Got to be unambiguous. And this is to protect the woman's rights. So in this male-dominated society where the man's will was definitely dominant... Moses was establishing a procedure that would protect the woman's rights. She was given individual rights in these circumstances. And that was for her own welfare. We're in a situation where uh, the uh, loss where women would be dying through childbirth. That was quite a high risk point in a woman's life for childbirth. And there would be men who had lost their wives in childbirth and maybe were left with small children and, you know, would be looking for a new wife. And the best prospects for a woman who had been put out of her house through divorce would be to find, uh, you know, a situation like that and to marry again. And so Moses was making provision to ensure that that happened. And he doesn't allow the woman, uh, you know, to return to her husband. Uh, part of that is to, you know, basically say, we're not going to get into, you know, horse trading here. We're not having women moved around from family to family, you know, at the whim of men. You know, so it's a serious decision that you make. And once you're divorced from the woman, that's it. That has to be an end to that relationship. So, of course, the big debate was in the phrasing where um, in that verse it says, if the man finds no favor, if, if, if she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. Now, the, that's, that's your both end of the spectrum. So some of the Pharisees said, well, if she burns the dinner, then he can, you know, and he finds no favor in her, that's enough. 
All right? I mean, I can just see you bristling these days and think you'd tip it over his head and he can cook his own, yeah. Um, but, you know, that's the situation you're in. Um, so you could have a situation where the, the fellow was saying, I find no favour in her, you know, she can't cook a decent meal, she's on her way, pack her bags and go. Or at the other end of the spectrum, you've got the finding some indecency in her, which they would take to be adultery. Basically, if she's been unfaithful, if she's been sleeping with another man, that would be counted as indecency, and therefore the husband could put her out. And you've got this huge spectrum between. And what they're trying to do is trap Jesus by getting him to step into that controversy and draw a line somewhere and say, well, that's permitted and that isn't permitted. Um, so that's what it's all about. That's what this certificate of divorce is about. I would say, I just want to kind of, I just want to fly the flag here for Judaism and Christianity and say that wherever you find Judaism and, you know, and Christianity is, is as its successor, there you find that the rights of women in society are at the highest level. You don't really have to look very far. You can even just read your newspaper this morning and you can find out that where that Judeo-Christian heritage is absent, the rights of women are very low. So I just want to put one in there and say, here you've got Moses protecting, stepping in, you know, under the inspiration of God, stepping in to protect a woman's rights in these circumstances. Right. So, Jesus then responds in two parts. First of all, he responds with a rebuke, and then he responds with a teaching. So, verse 5 is a rebuke. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses wrote you this commandment. This word in Greek is sclerocardia. Now, beautiful medical words, sclerosis. Sclerosis means hardening. And cardio, cardiac, that's the heart, isn't it? So that is very literally, he is saying, the law was introduced because of a hardening of the heart. A hardening of the heart. Now look, you know as well as I do, any kind of close relationship requires soft heartedness doesn't it you know if you're going to share your home with somebody if you're going to share your life with somebody then you need to be soft hearted towards them you need to be patient you need to be kind you need to be tolerant forbearing you need to be able to forgive and you know what? You need to be able to ask for forgiveness yourself as well. There needs to be some humility. All of these things are soft-hearted things, aren't they? You need to be honest. You need to be vulnerable. You need to be, you know, aware. You need to be ready to share your emotions. Any kind of companionship in life needs that. And most especially... If you are sharing your bed and if you are sharing your body with somebody else, if you are wanting to 
give and receive pleasure in an exclusive and lifelong sexual union, you need to be soft-hearted with one another. Being demanding, starting to claim your rights or assert your rights, being competitive and striving and thinking, well, you know, I've got to be getting the same treatment here. I've got to be treated fairly. This isn't fair. These sort of things where you start putting the other person down or belittling them, trying to be better than them or not forgiving, wanting maybe to exert some leverage over a wrong that someone has done. These things are hard-hearted things. And, you know, they drive a wedge between people and, you know, you, you, you know, you're just not going to... It kills off intimacy immediately. Kills off intimacy. Seeking to control and manipulate the other party. So... So what Jesus is saying here really is, why are you talking about divorce at all? Why are you even thinking that way? Why are you thinking so clinically about what grounds... You've failed to understand, really, you know, what marriage is all about. In a relationship like that, it's about selfishness giving away to love. It's about a continuous habit of little decisions to put the other person first, to be patient and to wait, to seek their happiness before your own God's purposes in marriage, you know, is to bring out the best in you. Somebody told me um, before I got married, they said, whatever you are before you're married, you will be more of after you're married. Now, that is the good, but also the bad. So, it will soon bring out the bad parts of your character that need to be corrected, that, need to, you, that you need to grow in, that you need to mature in, that you need to become more godlike in. So, you know, I, uh, I love, vivre la difference, that's what they say in France, isn't it? I love the fact that I have to take a different perspective. I have to think about things differently, not just not just see things from a different angle, but see things through a different pair of glasses, literally through a different mind. Think about things differently. You know, men from Mars, women from Venus. That's a great thing. That's a challenging thing. It's supposed to challenge my self-centeredness. It's supposed to work that out of me. It's not good for me to be alone. It's better for me to have a companion in life, to have a female companion in life. That's what's good. So, so marriage really ought to induce soft-heartedness, not hard-heartedness. Paul, you know, talks about marriage. Paul takes it one stage further in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. He says that husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church. So my example is the Lord Jesus and the way that he loves the church, the way he loves us, the way he loves me. 
Whereas the church is the bride of Christ, and we've got lots of different references to that, particularly in the New Testament, about the church being the bride. You know, we're engaged, the Holy Spirit is our engagement ring. Um, you know, we, there's lots of different analogies like that. So the church is the bride of Christ, um, and um, we are to... Uh, so, the, the, so wives are to love their husbands in the way that the church loves Christ. Well, uh, I think the husbands have got a much higher calling there <laughs> because the way that the church loves Christ, I think about me, I'm part of that church, my love for him is, you know, very, um, uh, lack, lacks a lot. <laughs> Um, I'm not so uh, quick to uh, submit to his will for my life. There's usually a, a battle that goes on there. Um, uh, you know, so, so for the husband, the husband is called to nourish and to cherish his wife and to create that relationship in which she will grow and blossom. And he is to give himself uh, as Christ gave himself for the church. That's what love is all about. That's the, that's the calling that we have in Scripture. Um, and wives are to love their husbands, to submit to them and to respect them as Christ, as the church loves and respects Christ, which is imperfect. Um, so any bloke comes to me and says, oh, you know, my, my wife doesn't uh, submit to me. She doesn't obey me or anything like that. She doesn't respect me. My first question is, right, how are you doing? Are you giving yourself for your wife? Can she see that you are putting her first? Can she see that self-sacrifice on your part? Are you nourishing and cherishing her? Get your part of it right first. And then I don't know of a woman who won't adore a husband who nourishes and cherishes her and puts her first. So, and so we have really in this passage a, a high calling and Let's, um, let's look at what Jesus says here. He, he's, he says to them, effectively, in verse 6, he says, yeah, but, you know, I've asked you, what does Moses say? You've quoted the law, but what else does Moses say? Let's get back into the first book of the Bible. Let's get back into Genesis. That's Moses. And these Pharisees, these Pharisees should be equally uh, conversant with that and be able to, uh, you know, reply to Jesus on that term as well. So he then quotes, he makes uh, three quotations, Jesus gives three quotations here. From the beginning of creation, God made them, and now he's quoting, God made them male and female, and for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. That's his three quotes, out of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Male and female, people come in two types, you might have noticed that. That's the way it was made to be. Leave and cleave. So there is a natural uh, path as folk grow up that they leave their parental home and they form their own home. You know, in marriage, they then cleave to their partners. You move through that position of being dependent on your parents to then being independent. That's what adolescence is all about, becoming independent and stroppy with it. <laughs> Um, and then becoming interdependent, learning to be mutually dependent on one another, have your spouse depend upon you and you depend upon your spouse. And then if you bring children into that equation, then, of course, you become dependable 
and they depend upon you and that whole cycle goes round again. And then Jesus talks about the two becoming one flesh. So verse 7, um, where he quotes leave and cleave, that word cleave, um, where that's translated into the Greek, is literally glued. That is the word that Jesus uses there. The two, they are, he will be glued to his wife. They will be glued together. And then he talks about um, what God has joined together. Now, that word um, has the same roots as the word for yoke. You know, if you put, if you put two animals together to pull a plough back in a you know, non-mechanistic agricultural age, um, you put two together to pull together. So that is literally, that is about walking in step and pulling together. That's what these words mean. And he says, the two become one. Now, Paul says this is a great mystery. That's how he describes it. It's a great mystery. That's to say, that doesn't mean that, um, what that means is that not everything about that is revealed. So the way in which that coming together happens, the way in which the two become one is not all revealed to us. It's not all understood to us, okay? So I can't give you a full account of that, but it's very evident. There is a union of souls that takes place. Sexual intercourse is not all about biology and chemistry. There is a union of souls that's happening here. Two souls are being joined together, yoked together, glued together. And that union is broken by death. And uh, it's also broken by, well, when we separate, by divorce. That's why this stuff is painful. That's why this stuff goes so deep. Because that union, that sexual union is, like I say, not just biology and chemistry. There is, there is a joining of souls that's taking place. So, of course, when there's a separation, there's a tearing apart. There's a tearing apart. And that hurts. And that causes damage. You know, that hurts people. And we, you know, we know about it, don't we? <laughs> we know about it. We feel it. This is not true for animals, okay? Animals don't marry, they don't divorce. Sex for them is for reproduction. And I know that, you know, you can probably quote to me a, a species of bird that pair for life or whatever. I know that happens, but it's not the same thing, is it? There's something more for us because we are made in the likeness of God. And so... This business about what God has joined together, this is a, so what Jesus is saying is there's a natural law here about this joining. If you think about gravity, gravity is a, is a, is a natural law. Now, you know, if I jump off the top of a building and fall to the ground, it's not because God specifically wills that for me. It's, that's the way that things have been made. And so that's going to apply, that, that law is going to apply to me. It's going to happen. And it's the same thing here with that sexual union. It's not that God specifically is joining this man and this woman together. If they get together in a sexual union, 
that glue is going to be working. That glue is going to be happening. And therefore, when that union is broken, the pain is going to come. The tearing is going to come. Okay. So, you're probably in the same place as the disciples were. You probably think, well, boy, if that's the way it is, you know, how does, what does that mean then? What does that mean then? And Jesus teaches them and says that basically to divorce someone and then to marry another is equivalent of adultery. And although you don't get it here, you get it in Matthew's parallel, adultery therefore becomes a reason for divorce because that, that tearing has already happened, that breaking of that covenant has already happened. And therefore the two are already apart. So, so that's where we're at. That's what Jesus teaches. Now then, I just want to say a couple of other things, all right? I want to be careful here because actually Jesus doesn't say anymore. He doesn't step into that controversy. I don't want to step into that controversy either. But I equally just want to recognize we are all coming from different places. So I just don't want to give you a clinical bump and leave it like that. I do want to pick things up a little bit. The Pharisees ask their question. We've got, a, we've got a model here. The Pharisees ask their question. Jesus says, what does Moses say? They come with the law. And Jesus rebukes them and says, that's too hard-hearted. That's too hard-hearted. And then he also says, well, what was, what was the creator's original Design. What was his original purpose? If you understood, he's saying to the Pharisees, if you understood what the father really was after in terms of marriage, and if you understood that joining and tearing that goes on, you wouldn't be so quick to, you know, to want to end things. You wouldn't be so quick to bring the law. Let's think about this situation where um, this woman is caught in adultery. This is in John, John chapter 8. So it's a similar situation. The Pharisees bring the law. She should be stoned to death. And Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't countermand that. He doesn't say, no, that law's wrong or superseded, something like that. What he says is, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And they don't cast any stones. They don't cast stones. And then he says to the woman, where are those who condemn you? She says, they're gone. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, you've got, you've got, the, you've got grace there. Neither do I condemn you. But you've also got that high calling. Go and sin no more. I mean, you think about it. If the Lord Jesus said to you, go and sin no more, how far would you get into the week? <laughs> you know, that's a high, high calling. 
So we want to teach marriage with a high calling. Hebrews says that um, marriage should be held in honour amongst all. Okay, so whether you're married or not, hold marriage in high honour. We want to teach that. Marriage to be held in honour by all. And the marriage bed to be undefiled. There's a call there for sexual purity. But at the same time, you know, I just want to say, that's a high call. And, you know, who amongst us can cast the first stone? Eh? Can we not all look at our own hearts and think, well, we fall short. We all fall short in this area. So, the other thing I want to say is this, you know, the church is built from people that have failed. <laughs> from people, the church is built not from the righteous, but from the wicked. The church is not built from the nice people. Jesus builds the church from the ugly people. All right? The church is not built from the ones that the world regard as worthy and you know, with merit, but God builds the church from those which are not the base things of the world, the, the people that the world will cast to one side. So that's who he builds the church from. In, in, in um, Corinthians, um, Paul writes them and says, um, in fact, let me find it, I'll read it to you. In Corinthians, he writes and says, this is who you guys were. See if I can find it. Oh, I can't find it. So he, say, he writes and he says, yes, I can. 1 Corinthians 6, that's it. <laughs> Got it. I was thinking of the passage in 6. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 7 is good, but I was thinking of the passage in 6 where it says, um, so this is 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminates, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the spirit of our God. That church in Corinth was built out of guys who were sexually immoral and, you know, had multiple relationships and who were broken and torn and damaged and flailing around. And the gospel came to them and they were transformed and they were born again and they were new creations in Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit came with that washing of regeneration and renewal. And they were able to stand up and they knew that they were justified in the Lord Jesus, that the blood of Jesus had paid the price, that all of their guilt and all of their shame was washed away. That's who Jesus builds the church from. He's still doing the same thing now. So I want to say to you, I want to say to you, you are part of a church like that. And do you want to be part of a church like that? Do you want to build a church like that? Do you want to help build a church like that? Do you want to be those who put down the stones? Don't cast stones at one another. And when folk come through that door, whatever circumstances they're in, and, you know, 
People are badly messed up on these issues, I tell you. Whatever circumstances they're in, we're not casting the stone. We're not looking at them and immediately judging them. Oh, they're gay. Oh, transsexual. Promiscuous. You know, we're not judging them like that. We're seeing them as here is someone else who Jesus shed his blood for. Here is someone else. Let me introduce that person to the one who will forgive them, to the one who will wash them, to the one who will cleanse them, to the one who will anoint them, to the one who will turn their brokenness into opportunity for his grace. Because you know what? Same thing's happened to me. Let's be like that, okay? Let's have that soft-heartedness. Let's not seek to bring the law because bringing the law just brings condemnation and doesn't bring life. Let's uphold the law. Let's be a people that live in holiness and purity where men and women regard one another as brothers and sisters, honour one another, are pure with one another and encourage one another to live those pure lives. Let's be in circumstances where there is abundant grace and abundant forgiveness and abundant opportunity for God to shine through and reveal himself in his saving power in people's lives. And let's be ready to receive whoever comes through. And let's understand that this is not a definitive, these 12, these 12 verses, not a definitive um, teaching on um, divorce and and uh, adultery and, uh, you know, sexual relations. That, you know, that's in the, there's a whole probably series of eight sermons or something to go, go through on all of that. Um, this is just the part. But I want to leave it there, really. Um, I will say, if this has stirred up questions in you, um, then please ask. Um, please, you know, ping your questions across in an email or whatever. You know, please ask, um, you know, and I will endeavour to answer, you know, individual situations and circumstances or even hypothetical situations or circumstances. Um, I want to do that. I don't think this is a place to do it really from the pulpit. I'm going to follow Jesus' example and not step, in, not step into that controversy. Um, but I do want to say also, I just want to say, you know, um, so we were... We were hearing before, and when we prayed together, weren't we, there were some um, words brought, um, and we'll, I don't know what you're going to do, Kim, are you going to, shall I go for those now? Shall I just do them anyway? Yeah, okay, so look, there were a couple of words brought um, about people feeling, a uh, picture of somebody with a heavy cape on, walking along, dragging this cape behind them, and the Lord Jesus wanted to come and just loose that from them so they could run and dance. If you're dragging the past behind you, you're dragging the heavy weight of the past behind you, I think the Lord wants to set you free from that. What was the other one? Pine cones, yeah, somebody walking on pine cones, um, being very prickly and feeling all the prickles and you know, feeling spiked and just not really happy and content. Um, don't be prickly and don't be prickled. Um, but, you know, be at peace, be relaxed. Again, you know, I think there's some freedom to come 
Um, we've all come from different circumstances and situations. Let us be free. And if you find the Spirit is just convicting you on some things, it's because he wants you to be free. It's because he wants the love of God to be poured out in your heart and for you to know, you know that you're forgiven and that you're washed and you're cleansed and you're justified. I've said enough. I'm going to hand back to you, Kim.